0: All right, Forge family, our last podcast was number 10, and it was a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, to chapter 4, verse 1. And uh, in it, uh, Paul was writing from imprisonment in Rome to teach about subverting the ancient household codes that ruled from cradle to grave in the lives of the Colossian peoples, uh, and even amongst the Christians of wives and husbands, fathers and children, slaves and masters, pointing out the way forward for kingdom transformation. Now, Paul did not set out to overturn those ancient household codes at that point, but he was, he was pointing them in a direction uh, that would lead to uh, personal transformation and then family transformation. Uh, he, he was going to teach them some transformational truth so that their households would put Christ first. And he would be first in relationships and then schools and in the marketplace and wherever, wherever those families did their business. Now, uh, two and a half, it took two and a half centuries of families, either one at a time or wholesale. If you recall, in Philippians, the Philippian jailer was told by Paul, um, you know, you believe and your household with you will be saved. So there, there was this sweep in of families and clans And at the end of two and a half centuries, 60 plus percent of the people in the empire uh, under Emperor uh, Constantine were Christians. And Constantine made a shrewd political choice to say, you're all legal now, (laughs) no more persecution. And he funded the churches and basilicas and whatnot. But the point was, up to that point, the Christians had been under the, the thumb of the empire Nevertheless, their families grew in a transformational way. <clears throat> Likewise, we here in Forge Church have a template set out for us to become transformed as individuals, and then in marriage, parenting, employment, and as employers, to be those who show forth the presence of Jesus in our various marketplaces and social settings. So family, there's yet more to learn, apply, and display by Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the wealth of books and conferences and CDs and and, uh, all kinds of teaching and mentoring examples on how we are to labor into transformed families. Lord, we don't just want principles. We want your presence. And now as we move through these last verses in Colossians, in this podcast, we want to catch the pattern here of how many different gifts and different people all are engaged to extend the gospel and establish the kingdom of God. Lord. Open our hearts, clear our minds, Lord the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So find your, yourself in um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to begin there. As we saw last week, or last, last, the last podcast, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 is about masters. And it rightly belongs in the paragraph just prior to that in chapter 3. Why translation committees decided to draw the line there, it makes no sense. But the, really the first verse in chapter 4 is verse 2. And, um, and we're going to begin there. It's where Paul begins to close out his letter that's going to be sent from Rome to the Colossians and all the believers in the Lycus Valley in Asia Minor. So Paul begins with a set of imperatives, commands, if you will. Colossians, brothers and sisters, our Church, he says we're to devote ourselves to prayer. Well, why? (laughs) Well, persecution's coming, for one thing. Uh, there were those with prophetic gifts who could go, you know, learn to get your head down. Okay? So persecution was coming against the faithful. And also, living in families that are in the midst of transformation or living in, in the ecclesia, the gathering of the believers, you know, that's not always easy. Sometimes that's really hard. And so, Paul says, when you commit yourself to be devoted to prayer... It's going to impact the family and it's going to impact the church. Further, while all those in Asia had heard the claims about Christ, you remember? Where Paul says, everyone in Asia has heard the claims of Christ. It's just an amazing statement. So everybody's heard it, but that doesn't mean they received it. Okay, everyone's heard about these, about this risen, reigning Lord and Creator of all. But there's still a lot of spiritual fog and spiritual oppression and darkness in Colossae itself. So Paul says to them, pray. For us at this moment, beginning on a a global scale, uh, there's an unholy trinity, if you will, of Russia, North Korea, and Iran who are sharing military technologies They're funding each other's programs to get better and better at uh, nuclear throw weight and delivery systems and other man-killing things. And uh, just this week, uh, the Israeli defense systems went on red alert. You know, they said things are just so razor-edged because these three nations hate us and hate the United States. This is a reset Howell's moment you may not know what that is but i'll tell you later okay so when we run into these situations that are just imminently dangerous we're to pray for an awakening to the gospel of jesus in russia in north korea and in iran okay there are many believers in africa who are greatly pressed as are those in India and Pakistan and Iran, Dagestan, Indonesia, Central and, and South America. You know, there's blood being spilt because the people stand up and say, "I'm following Jesus." I read an article this week out of Decision Magazine. I think it was of a man who was incarcerated because he all his life, all his life, he was in the gangs. And sooner or later, sure enough, he got caught. And when he went, when he was convicted, sent to prison for 11 years, he went. They only convicted me for those things. Whew, they missed all his other stuff. And when he got to prison, uh, he was approached by leaders of at least two different gangs, and they wanted him to be, called, to be a um, shot spotter, I think it's called, where he was the one who had somewhat the power of life and death in that prison of who lived and who died. He transmitted the orders from on high, if you will, in the gang situations and, and, and to the minions, and he would pass out the shivs and people would die and then riots, things like etc. Somewhere in there, and, and he got transferred in the system into <clears throat> Folsom, which is a maximum one of the maximum security prisons in California. And when they met him at the gate and they said to him. See this man here with this semi-automatic rifle? And that man right there, and that man right there. You know what? You're out of line. You're in a riot. You're trying to kill somebody else. We're not aiming for center mass. We're not trying to take out legs or arms. We're aiming for your head. We will kill you. And then they took him inside and said, we know who you are. You're a shot spotter. You're going into solitary. And so he was in this, like, five-by-eight room with a slot that his meals were passed back and forth. Months and months and months. And he'd been told, you know, you can go crazy in there. And the answer is, yes, you can. And, and um, a woman would come into the prison, and she would stand in the, in the middle of these aisles. He could hear her, couldn't see her. And she said, who's in that room? And the guard said, well, you know, you, you don't want to know him. He's, he's bad stuff, bad dude, bad stuff. She said, no, God wants to use him. Couldn't see him, didn't know anything about it. God's going to use him. And she kept coming back and saying that until finally she was able to come to the door and and he backed away from the door and she could lift the little flap and look him in the eye and say, God's going to use you. And he went, (laughs) and he sat on his bunk and on the wall was pictured his life. All the stuff he'd done. All the broken, horrible, murderous, wicked things he'd done. And he's on his face on the floor crying out. So he goes to the chaplain. The chaplain says, I think what you experienced was called conversion. So here's the Bible. So he's all his time in solitary, and he reads and reads and reads. Then he starts to teach. Then he starts to preach through the slot. He'd lift it up, and he'd shout through the slot. And then he was put out in the prison population. And he was beaten Repeatedly because he wouldn't go back to the gangs and he followed Jesus. Okay? Now, my point here is their brothers and sisters are shedding blood for their faith here in California. So, we pray for the awakening of the gospel of Jesus in the prisons and globally. Here in North America, the presentation of 15. Individual genders, options, gender options are being presented to kindergartners. The anti-Christian progressive political movement, the murderous taking of life, and the flawed leadership, regardless of party or affiliation, in Washington, and at a state level, at a government level, local, whatever it is, those things have us in an anguished twist, often, often. So the answer is, pray for the releasing and awakening of the gospel of Jesus. Nothing less can sufficiently bring transformation to our world, our hemisphere, our nation, our state, our community, or our families. Paul says it, and our response is, devote yourself to prayer. Then Paul qualifies that prayer, expanding uh, the atmosphere that's supposed to surround that prayer. He says... Quote, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So in Ephesians chapter 6, there's nearly an identical exhortation on prayer. It says this, verse 18 of chapter 6, With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be being on the alert with all, the Brits would say perseverance, Perseverance, okay? The grit to hang in there. Perseverance and petition for all the saints. In both passages, here in Colossians and in Ephesians, Paul uses the Greek word proskartereo, and it means the following, and it's a spectrum of response. It says, be alert, stand ready, continue to give constant attention, give unremitting care, be in constant readiness, be wakeful, and be perseverant. The Quaker Thomas Kelly wrote the following, there's a way of ordering your mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, Behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we also may be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Likewise, Brother Lawrence, he's a, he was a medieval monk who spent his life scraping out and cleaning pots and pans. He didn't get to do the creative stuff called cooking. He just cleaned up after it was all done for a lifetime. And he said, the time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in a great tranquility as if I were on my knees. Now here are two examples of what Paul has in mind when he commands prayer without ceasing. Even in the midst of a busy life. Like, you know, sometimes God gives dreams and you, you just wake up and you have that. It's all over you. It's recurrent. You can't get away from it. And so you carry that praying through the day. What is that, Lord? Oh, I think I know what that is now. I'll pray into that. And you carry that dream or that vision through the day, through for as long as it's there in your face. Okay? <clears throat> And, and you may be shocked uh, by some report. I know my daughter-in-law was shocked because in their town where they live in, in uh, Highlands Ranch, there was a school shooting while we were on vacation in Utah. And she was just rocked. I mean, she just, you know, she was like the 2,000-yard stare, you know, praying, cooking, caring for her kids. But just her heart was being poured out over that situation this past week. So when that happens, when there's this shocking report and you're called immediately to pray over it while you parent, while you commute, while you tutor, while you study, while you, you, know, while you cook and clean. So again, you know, the, the, the scripture says, this is how you go forward. Yes, I'm able to do excellent work and say, oh, Jesus, under my breath. In verse 3. Oh, excuse me, let me define that prayer too. This is not a prayer that whines or cajoles or demands or challenges God. This is prayer, rather, uh, in Paul's word that says it's supposed to constantly flow with thanksgiving. After all, who's really in charge here? It's not you. It's the Lord God. In verse 3, Paul requests that he and the team of brothers in Rome be included in that earnest prayer. So you know, first it's outward about the Colossian concerns and individuals, and they pray for us. You know, he got a whole bunch of guys in Rome around him, and they're waiting in a prison, house prison kind of situation, waiting for his date with with Nero because he appealed to Caesar about his for for his freedom. Now, note um, the Colossians, as as we are, are to pray as participants in the mission of the gospel. And all of that is folded into God's redemptive plan of history. Paul, he, he could have asked for prayer to be freed from this being chained to the soldier. He could have asked that, that, that his trial would go well, that the, the outcome of his trial, you know, whew, okay, I can get on about my business. That's behind me. Or 30 could have prayed for peace at, just to be able to wait for you know, all these Months in peace. He doesn't do that. What he asks them to pray for is for strength and opportunities to do God's work that was assigned to him. Well, what was it that was assigned to him? Preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? Colossians uh, have to recognize that when they're praying for this team, you've got Timothy, you've got Epaphras, you've got a bunch of other people that all gathered, they're all gathered around Paul in Rome. And Paul asks for a prayer for a door to be opened so that uh, the word could be spoken forth. uh, That there'd be an opportunity to teach the mystery of Christ. Now, the preaching of that mystery of Christ was that God sent his only begotten Son as Savior of both the Jew and the Gentile. For the Jew, that's inconceivable. Gentiles were just out there, away from God. And for the Gentiles, what do they want with a Jewish Messiah? And yet, here is the mystery that God says, I sent my son so that you could know God in a personal way. And that preaching had landed Paul in prison. But he asks for more preaching opportunities. He used the same figure of a great door, a wide and effectual door in Ephesus. But he said there are many adversaries. He used that description of a door when he got to Troas. See, Paul was going north. He'd set his sights on that second missionary journey with Silas and others. He was going north. He was going to go into Bithynia. Bithynia is on the southern steps of what is modern-day Russia. Or one of the stands. I can't tell which it is. It's, it's you know, north of the Black Sea, out there. Okay? And the Lord shut the door. Holy Spirit shut the door on him. And Paul waited and it didn't happen. He prayed and it didn't happen. And then another door opened. And a voice at midnight in a, a figure of the vision, dream, called out to him, Come over to us in Macedonia. And the door opens, so the gospel flows west to us. There are those commentators who look at this passage and say, Well, you know, he's asking for a door open for the word. Well, that has to mean Jesus. The Word, the problem was the Gospel of John hadn't been written yet because John says this. John 1, verse 14. This comes decades after, after the writing of Colossians. Okay? John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, That's where John the Apostle identifies Jesus as the Logos, the Word that was with God and was God. The Colossians hadn't had the exposure to progressive revelation, yet it was coming, but John hadn't written his Gospel. Part of Paul's request for Colossian prayers was for the opportunity that he had every day. Every day, every eight hours, they brought in this beautiful young man with armor. You know, he's, you know, the classic, you know, tribune look from the, from the Hollywood movies. He, you know, he, he shines when he steps in and he clatters a little bit. Okay, and he's chained to this disturbing man named Paul. See, it's not the other way around. Paul wasn't chained to him. It's this poor, this poor guy was trying to be a good, healthy pagan. And he was part of the Praetorian Guard. Now, the Praetorian Guard were personal bodyguards for Nero, for the Caesar, current Caesar. But they were also a political force. They trained, they elevated, and they placed the next Caesar, or Caesars, plural. It was a behind-the-scenes political system anchored to military might. <clears throat> and so here comes, every eight hours, comes one of these young men who's then chained to, chained to this man. And and the result is, he gets to watch Paul write, you know, dictate his letters, write his letters, pray for someone, counsel someone, teach the team, and then Paul turns and fixes his eyes on this soldier and engages him. And the result is there were conversions amongst the Praetorian guards so that ultimately in Philippians, Paul says, send my greetings to the household of Caesar because there were believers now, through the fact that this man had been brought in and chained. My, one of my mentors, Ray Stebbins, called that a chain reaction. Paul continues in verse 4, that prayer on his behalf will help clarify for him the way he ought to speak. So get that. This is an apostle. This is someone who has preached all over the. The, at least that part of the known world, and he went to Illyricum, which was to Spain, etc. And yet he's saying to the Colossians, Pray for me so that I know how to speak. Are any of you headed into difficult situations where you know you're going to be put in a place where you can't even imagine how God is going to give you a platform so you could talk out of the content of your life about Jesus? And that happens, you pray, and you have your friends. See, we got in nearly instant text communication to pray with you so that you know how, how you ought to speak. Charles Spurgeon at one time was called the Prince of Preachers in England. And uh, he was once teaching about the, the command of Jesus that where he's, Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he said, some preachers put the food so high on the shelf that neither sheep nor lambs could ever reach it. They seem to have heard the text to say, feed my giraffes. Now, no, that does not mean that you will never be given the opportunity to stand before presidents and kings, before business magnates and military leadership, before religious and educational leaders. Some of you have been there. You are thrust into that place. When those those moments come, Paul says, you pray. And you have others pray for you and call on heaven to make it clear on how you ought to speak. Paul continues in verse 5 with another command. This time, calling on believing Colossians to conduct themselves with wisdom, to walk out their lives in Christ in an orderly manner. And and that they're, do, they're supposed to do that so that uh, when they relate to those who are not yet followers of Jesus, there's a visible display. Oh, that's what Christians are like. And even he, he even uses the term here called he calls them outsiders. They're just you know they are not part of the ecclesia. They're not part of brothers and sisters yet. We and the Colossians are to make the most of those opportunities to display Christ in our lives. Our walk before him and our speech on his behalf, wrapped in the wisdom from above. We're to seize the moment by doing good, by speaking good with zeal. Paul used the word kairos. Okay, that's the word for strate- a strategic moment in time, a pinpoint. Right there, it is strategic thing as opposed to chronos just the rolling tide of time here it is kairos okay speaks of strategic things that are part of the opportunities laid before us another command of verse 6 follows with how our speech is to be positioned before heaven and before mankind it is always to be with grace unmerited favor that we have experienced and unmerited favor the sweetness and courtesy that you are about to pour out on others. I am chief sinner in my household. I still struggle with phone solicitors and with uh, technical services people who simply say, here, push this button and it routes you through the the voicemail system and they may get back to you or not. And it just leaves me steamed. That's not grace. Grace. So the vocal expressions that we're to pour out on others are to be seasoned and inviting and savory as if they were seasoned with salt. That will flavor your discussions with the salt of the kingdom and it will preserve you from corrupt speech. The opposite, the non-kingdom speech, if you will, is marked with flat, silly, angry Insipid, corrupt words. And so when you, you need a, you know, you want to know in which kingdom you're operating? Listen to your mouth. Listen to how you talk. It'll tell you, oh, that's a kingdom. That's a good word. I mean, Chris Belton says that all the time. That's a good word. Okay? <laughs> On the other hand, if your mouth is loose and it's wrong, you need to say, that's not kingdom. I'm sorry, Lord. Then in verse 7 and 8. Paul starts to pivot. He turns away from his teaching and exhortation and he wants to commend instead of teach. So he's passing on his blessings on his co workers in Christ who are coming into, or some of them are going to come to the Colossians. Uh, some of them are known to them, and they're those who are now being introduced to them. So first he introduces the one designated to hand carry this handwritten epistle. The thousand miles from Rome back to the Lycus Valley. His name is Tychicus. And he would soon carry that letter. Also, he's got to carry a letter to the church in Ephesus. <clears throat> now, this man, Tychicus, had traveled with Paul to Jerusalem and he personally carried the, ba- the money bags. He carried the offerings that came out of the churches in Macedonia that 2 Corinthians, Corinthians talks about. The poor brothers and sisters were cut off from the Jewish welfare system in Jerusalem. And they were starving. They were hurting. They they had tremendous needs. And the churches in Macedonia took up an offering and Tychicus hand-carried it to Jerusalem with Paul. Tychicus and Luke stayed with Paul for the years of waiting in Caesarea. Both Tychicus... Excuse me. Tychicus uh, was on the ship with Paul to Rome. Paul says of him that he is a beloved brother, faithful servant, and fellow bond slave in the Lord. He's to carry the word of Paul's condition, needs, and affairs onto the Colossians because Paul really wants these people he's running to to be informed and be encouraged. With Tychicus will be traveling a man named Onesimus. And he's known to the Colossians. When he fled Colossae, it was because he'd been miserable, ungrateful, and he stole from his master, Philemon, the pastor of the church. Philemon had been the man who had helped plant that church in Colossae. And then he fled on to to Ephesus and then further to Rome. And here's Onesimus, but he's somehow been picked up and found in Rome by this team around Paul. And he's converted. He's come become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now he's getting ready to go back. And as he returns to the household of Philemon and to the fellowship in, in Colossae, he comes back with repentance and restitution in his hand. That describes a divine appointment on both ends, in Rome and soon in Colossae. One of the men I really have appreciated studying Colossians is named Kent Hughes. He's pastor. He's pastor at a bunch of different places around the country, and he writes. And he writes in a way that touches me. So uh, he, he related uh, seeing a newspaper ad in a newspaper in Nairobi, Kenya. And the newspaper was called the East African Standard. And this was in big, bold type. Somebody, this man, took out an ad, You know, filled up a chunk of a page, and it said this. All debts to be paid. I, Alan Harangui, alias Waniak Harangui, of Post Office Box 40380, Nairobi, have dedicated my services to the Lord Jesus Christ. I must put right all my wrongs. If I owe any debt or damage personally or any of the companies I have been director or partner, that is to say, Guaranteed Systems, Guaranteed Services Limited, Water Pumps Electrical, and General Company Sales and Services Limited, please contact me or my lawyers, J.K. Kibicho and Company, for a settlement. No amount will be disputed. God and His Son, Jesus Christ, be glorified. That was me. Yeah. 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 that right there is the spirit of Onesimus, if you will. It was on on Onesimus. Even his wallet had been converted. So there's greatness in the small things we do for Christ. and, And some of the momentary things we do become eternal. Next, we're introduced to a man named Aristarchus in verse 10. He's from Macedonia. And he is described as a fellow prisoner. So we don't know whether or not he was so close to Paul that he just sort of decided he was going to become a voluntary prisoner with Paul. Or second, it's possible that his zeal overflowed in a public place and he starts preaching out of his own you know, salvation experience and he is remanded into custody. Just again how the Brits would say. He's picked up and jailed, chained up. We don't know that. And the third possibility is he volunteered to be in prison with Paul. But Aristarchus is sending his greetings to the Colossians from this team. Also in verse 10, Paul uh, uh, Paul says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, with whom he had launched on the first missionary journey, the three of them, Barnabas, Paul, and Mark, John Mark, they had journeyed from Antioch to Cyprus and beyond Cyprus to the south coast of Asia Minor. And at that point, Mark goes, uh... I you hear my mother calling. or some, We don't know what it was, whether it was fear or anxiety. We don't know why he bailed from the missionary journey, but he left them at that point. And John, and, he went home, and uh, Paul and Barnabas went on alone. On returning to Antioch, another missionary journey is organized, and Paul says to Barnabas, you come with me. We're going back. And Barnabas says, no, I've chosen to go with Mark, and we're going to Crete. Barnabas chose Mark over Paul. And yet here, Paul the Apostle says, you know who he is. He writes to the the Colossians says, you know who he is, and when he comes, you welcome him. Peter, the Apostle, treated Mark like a son. And much of the gospel of Mark reflects Peter's Experience a walking with Jesus, and in tradition, Mark is also also um, credited with planning a church in Alexandria, Egypt. In verse eleven, Paul refers to Jesus. Actually, uh, this was a man who his Greek name would have been Jesus, and his Latin name would have been Justice. The three men, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are the only three Jews converted from Judaism to serve with Paul as followers of Jesus Christ. And they were of immense encouragement to Paul. <clears throat> Verses 12 and 13, Paul points to Epaphras, one of the two men who had planted the churches in Colossae and in Hierapolis in the Lycus Valley. And and he was numbered amongst the believers in Colossae. He's part of their, their fellowship. And while he's been in Rome, he has been praying to the point of agony, is, is literally how the text describes his prayers. He has been passionately crying out for the church and the believers in Colossae that it would become mature, complete, and fully bolted down, settled, at peace, solid in their expressions of Jesus Christ. He sends, Epaphras sends his love and his prayers, and his blessings back to Colossae. Verse 14. Paul points out his friend Luke, the beloved physician. Okay, author of the Gospel of Luke. But he had traveled with Paul on a missionary journey. He, he went with Paul into the prison in Caesarea and waited in Caesarea. Then he gets on the same ship and he goes across the Mediterranean. He shipwrecked with Paul on the way to Rome. And ultimately, he sits with Paul in Rome under house arrest. Lastly, there's a reference here to someone named Demas. Okay, there's no commendation here. It's just a passing mention. As early as perhaps 18 months later in time, um, in 2 Timothy, there's a reference to Demas saying, he loved this present world and he has gone on to Thessalonica. So whether Demas was already on a slippery slope and moving away from the faith, or whether he was, he was a man who was terrified. Because persecution was arising, and he did not want to be chained, and he did not want to give his life. That, that was just too much, and so he moved on. We don't know. Paul sends his greetings to the brethren in Laodicea, and also to a, a woman named Nympha, and the church in her house. So there's several New Testament families if you will of, of manuscripts we don't have any originals. the New Testament manuscripts we have and there's five thousand of them they're all copies okay so we don't have anything but Paul's actual signature on it okay nevertheless there's a family of New Testament manuscripts that indeed speak of her as a leader of a house church that met in her house now uh, there's also manuscripts that, are tra- that translate this name, Nymphas, okay, which is a male name. It's a man's name. So it was inconceivable for hundreds and hundreds of years that a woman could ever be a leader. And perhaps a copyist, a scribe, added the S on the end of Nymphas' name. Just because it made no sense whatsoever to have a woman listed in that, in that situation. So, ask Nympha when you see her soon. What it was like to lead a house church in the Lycus Valley. In verse 16, Paul urges this letter to the Colossians to be read to the churches of Laodicea. And then he says, Oh, in the letter I sent to Laodicea, I want you to have that read at Colossae as well. So tell me, on what page do you find the epistle of the Laodiceans in the New Testament? It ain't there. So the question is is this a lost epistle of Paul? That perhaps someday someone will turn over a rock and there it will be. Okay? I mean, that's how we found the other manuscripts. You know, they were in some crypt that was dry and was sealed, and, oh, there's all this paper, paper, parchment, vellum, whatever it was. Okay? It may be out there. Or this may have been the letter that was sent to the Ephesian church, and then it launched. It got copied a gazillion times, and it went whoosh, to all the points of Asia Minor. And it happened becoming through Laodicea at that time. We don't know. <clears throat> Yet. In verse 17, there's a firm word of exhortation to a man named Archippus. Paul says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Well, that's a spine stiffener. Now, it's not a rebuke, it's just simply saying when you take on a ministry and the mantle of that ministry, you hang with it, you keep going, you finish well. And in some ways, Paul speaks in the same language, the same tone, to Timothy as as a young man who's pastoring the church of Ephesus. It's not an unusual statement for Paul to make to others in ministry. He says, don't pull away in moral failure, doctrinal confusion, exhaustion, or discouragement. Remind yourself who you answer to. And that's not me, the Apostle Paul. You answer to the Holy Spirit. He's the one who has the final say of, well done, good and faithful servant. Finally, in verse 18, knowing that Paul may have been dictating this letter through Timothy as the, as the copyist, as the secretary, the amanuensis, Paul signs the letter with these words, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So we know that Paul had a recurrent somewhat intractable eye disease that he picked up on one of his missionary journeys. And uh, it is speculated that when he signed documents, he signed them large. P, A, you know, so that he could see them. His eyes were in that kind of shape. (coughs) Lastly, Paul reminds the Colossian church to remember him in his imprisonment. And he calls them again to say, you pray for me. He finishes his letter with, Grace be with you. All right, Forge family. uh, In the last 12 verses, there's eight brothers and a sister. All mentioned as co-laborers in Christ. Some carried the money bags, some carried letters, some sat with Paul in imprisonment, some probably treated his eyes and his other infirmities. One was going to travel home to his pastor and his master. One was staying with Paul and praying passionately for the Colossians. One was hosting a house church. And one was firmly reminded to keep going forward with the ministry that had been laid on him. So here we have a a slice of history, including missions journeys together. prayer uh, Prayer together in prisons together. Sea voyages together as well as the back-and-forth carrying of offerings and letters, the one that came out of Colossae the 1,000 miles, and now there's two letters, at least, that are going back the 1,000 miles. What a mix of gifts and passions and skills and callings. So the ongoing building of the kingdom of God relies on each of us, large and small in our influence, solid and mature, or just now growing up in the faith. We, too, are to ask for a door to be opened for us as individuals and for Forge Church that we carry forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some opportunities will be to lambs and some will be to giraffes. And, and uh, there'll also be some opportunities with those that are sliding and slipping away from the faith, as well as those who, who don't have a clue. They've never heard, literally heard the story of Jesus. They don't know. And yet, that may be the open door that God gives you. And we are to pray for, we, know, we're, we're to, to pray for spiritual Velcro. It's a term I coined in which we, it, something comes in, it sticks to us. You can't rip it loose carefully. And in the storms and in the twisting and in the troubles, that is just there. It's got you. Okay? To stick tight, to hang in there, to live out reality of the transformation in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, many of these servants of the church in Colossae are mentioned here, but we know that there's a vast number of other brothers and sisters who have and who are now, and who will serve. Lord, we want to be with them as we serve. Lord, um, and we also want to be those who, who, who clearly understand what it means to, Paul's last words, to say, grace be with you. Lord, that's precious stuff. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.